Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Lockdown Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Locked On Blue Devils podcast. My name is J.J. Jackson. I proudly serve as the host of this fine program. Locked On Blue Devils is your daily podcast devoted to everything going on in the life of Duke Athletics. Here throughout the summer, of course, we're going three times a week. But come August 1st, you'll be back to five shows each and every day. We'll coincide with the start of fall football camp as we've got plenty to discuss here for the Duke Blue Devils. On today's program, we're going to take a look at the men's basketball team. Our good buddy Brendan Marks from The Athletic has done a lot of great reporting recently about the future of Duke men's basketball. So we'll get his thoughts on the summer thus far and so much more. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to follow and subscribe to Lockdown Blue Devils for free. Also make sure that you check us out on YouTube to watch the show daily there. Hit the subscribe button, share these videos with your friends, hit the like button, turn on the post notifications all those things, that support means the absolute world to us. Any questions that you have, send us questions for mailbag episodes of the program. Send those to LockdownBlueDevils at gmail.com. So without further ado, let me bring on the aforementioned Brendan Marks, my good friend. And Brendan, here we are. The summer keeps moving along. It's good to see you, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. No doubt about that. Look, a lot of people have their eyes and thoughts uh, into Peach Jam, which is certainly the case with what took place this past weekend, and we'll get to some of your reporting and what you saw here in just a matter of moments, but it's so busy in the life of a college basketball program because next thing you know, we get this week up and started. The freshmen are starting camp uh, college classes for the first time, so here we are with all the Duke basketball players back on campus and kind of getting into a little bit of a routine. Yeah, you know, it, uh, it it feels like summer is gone already. It shouldn't be that way. Uh, but, yeah, all the guys are on campus. Everybody's back and they're working. Um, you know, as you mentioned, uh, we, we started getting these podcasts out of the program, which have been really interesting to listen to. And then, you know, coaches were out recruiting. This is a busy time of the year, especially the way the calendar falls now. Uh, Peach Jam is a huge evaluation period for these guys. So uh, I was down at Peach Jam with Coach Shire and the rest of the staff and, um, it was definitely interesting to, to catch up with them and to check in on some of the players they're watching. You're going to have many conversations throughout the course of the year with this freshman class as they get going and uh, the impact that they're going to have on the floor. Uh, what's often forgotten about is that they are students first. And these first week classes, we all remember it from our own personal experiences. But uh, it's probably a reality check for these guys. Like, wait a minute, I am a Duke University student and here I am getting to hit the grind. Yeah, for sure. I, I've always wondered this because, you know, I, I didn't take summer classes uh, when I was in college. I, you know, I enrolled in the normal fall semester or whatever. So I've always been curious, you know, how, how busy these are, how much of them are online, <laughs> how much is in person. But no, you know, actually getting the, the thing that's really cool about the summer for these guys and, and something that's, I think, pretty important, actually, is, you know, the rigor of being a Duke basketball player is a job in and of itself. It's that way at any high major, but especially at a place like Duke. And balancing the academic piece of it is huge. And rather than throwing these guys into the deep end come August, instead what you're doing is you're giving them a, a little bit of a leeway. You're getting them to dip their toes into the water and, and to try and get that time management aspect for the first time really in their college career. So uh, it's more important than I think people realize, but it's also exciting because it means that they're here. It means that they're working. It means that uh, the team is coming together. Yeah, and it means that they're on the floor, which is something that we've certainly seen. Uh, snippets, of course, photos released 
from the team's social media accounts. We're getting these 45-second to minute-long clips of the guys in the gym. Uh, what, what has been the most significant thing that you've seen or heard or observed from the four freshmen in particular when it comes to things on the court? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I got a text, uh, you know, I think it was, it's, if not the day that guys got to campus, maybe it was the day after, and it just said, uh, Caleb Foster is a bucket. And uh, that, that message has been repeated in some form or fashion to me probably five times since then. And, you know, Caleb Foster was obviously on Duke's radar for a very long time on the recruiting trail. Uh, you know, I think earlier on in his high school career was known more as sort of a, a dual point guard, could score, could also assist and set guys up. Um, last year, his senior year, he goes to Notre Dame, is in more of a scoring role there, and it seems that those tendencies have carried over. He has uh, impressed coaches, has impressed the staff, has impressed teammates already with that. So, uh, I, you know, every year we come in expecting Duke freshmen to make an instant impact, and obviously with the returners back this season, maybe that'll be less so than in past years, especially less than last year. Uh, but it certainly sounds like Foster and some of these other guys are, have the talent to be able to make an immediate impact. Yeah, and if you're able to make immediate impressions on his staff in which you were recruited, obviously they've got all the accolades in the world. They're some of the top prep prospects uh, in all of the sport. All eyes are going to be on this Duke program year in and year out as we talk about time and time again. Uh, but it is pretty impressive to hear these players making those big impacts less than 20, you're saying less than 24 hours after they arrive. We're already getting some alerts as to what these guys could do. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, I, the formality and the structured practices, all of that is going to come later. This is sort of in those, you know, early pickup runs. Hey, everyone's on campus. Let's just get in the gym. Not necessarily organized by anybody. Um, but it just gives you an early impression of how a guy likes to play. You get to start learning tendencies that early because, you know, I think as we saw last year, it, it did take Duke's freshman class a long time to learn how to play together. And when they finally got to that point, voila, you got a 10-game winning streak and an ACC title. So now, you know, the earlier you can get a jump on that process, the better. And, um, you know, I, I think physically you've, I, I've heard this and seen this from, you know, what Duke has released. These guys are all physically very mature for freshmen. I mean, okay. Jared, McCain, Jared McCain looks like a running back. Uh, you know, Sean Stewart is very cut as well. So, um, you know, I, with the advancements that we've seen in terms of prep training, I think it's really starting to pay dividends, and these guys are just the latest example of that. Yeah, year by year, they get stronger and stronger, taller and taller. They can jump better. And, I mean, it's just crazy. It's uh, pretty impressive to see what these freshmen are certainly capable of. As we're discussing the Stukeman's basketball program, there are always eyes on the future when it comes to the summer. Recruiting picks up full steam, full momentum, and uh, we're going to get to some of your thoughts and stories that you've had out, Brendan, as of late after our first time out here on the program today. Locked On Blue Devils here today is brought to you by our friends over at Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs is one of my favorite brands and favorite products that I've been wearing as of late, and you should too. As Bird Dogs make you look good, their stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and give your leg a truly sculpted look. A lot of people want to compare them to Lululemon, which is fair, except Bird Dogs fit way, way better. They fit way better than regular shorts that are made of stiff, restricting cotton as they fix this issue by inventing cloud-knit fabric that looks just like khaki but stretches so you get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. Bird Dogs also has the ability to use anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. 
What you could do is go to birddogs.com slash college or enter promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash college Again, or promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You don't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you that. Bird Dogs, a proud sponsor of Locked On Blue Devils. Moving forward here on today's episode of Locked On Blue Devils, J.J. Jackson alongside my pal Brendan Marks of The Athletic. Tell me a little bit about The Athletic. How can folks follow your work and what can they be on the lookout for this time of year? Yeah, absolutely. All of my stories uh, I put out on my own Twitter page at Brendan R. Marks. You know, you got to cry on there. Uh, and I also, all my stories appear at theathletic.com. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm biased, but I think we have the best sports writing staff in the world. Um, can cover, obviously, college basketball, but you're also getting stuff about the NBA, the NFL, MLB, NHL. We cover every sport. So uh, this is the time of year for me where I get to really dive into some features. I've got a really cool one actually on Duke that I'm in the process right now. Had done some reporting before I left for Peace Jam, got to do a little bit more while I was down there. Um, that's something that I'm hoping is out in the next two weeks or so. Uh, but this is a time of year where I get to really dive in and try and find out more about things that I don't have time for during the regular season. So very excited for that one to hopefully come out shortly. All right, you're fresh off of a weekend at Peach Jam that the entire basketball community is discussing uh, from seeing LeBron James on the sidelines in a coaching role to a who's who when it comes to college basketball coaches. And then, of course, a premier look at the next line of high school recruits and prospects in the game of college basketball. What are those big takeaways that you had from this past weekend, Brendan? Yeah, you know, I, I think the number one takeaway that anybody who was at Peace Gym this weekend is, is walking out with is the fact that there is a clearly defined big three, this, this trio of elite prospects in the high school level, and none of them are in the 2024 class. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's the young kids. It's Cooper Flagg, it's Cameron Boozer, and it's A.J. DeBonta. They are by far and away the three best prospects in all of high school basketball. The order that you want to rank them is sort of up to you. Um, you know, me personally, I'm probably taking Cooper Flag at this point just because of how well-rounded he is. But, you know, talking to NBA scouts who were there, you know, on Thursday, uh, they said the, these are quote-unquote franchise players. These are guys who can become, you know, top five draft picks. These are guys that teams are going to be tanking for a year in advance. These are guys who teams already have on their radar. And, are, are again, that's a lot of weight to put onto a 15- to 16-year-old. Um, but these guys are, are showing what they're capable of against better competition and have just really continued to get better. So I think that's the, the clearest takeaway. And uh, obviously when you have players of that caliber, uh, the recruiting war is trying to get them in your building is, is very intense. Uh, and I think that we saw Duke was obviously paramount right front and center for a number of those battles this weekend. Speak to that. I mean, it's such a hard place to be, a hard ticket to get. I mean, it's not like we're in the largest venues, the largest arenas in the world when it comes to Peach Jam, right? And you certainly see coaches with the best courtside seats for this venue, but the actual recruiting that takes place at an event like this, what does that look like? What are people uh, trying to look for in regards to like what you're doing there? What are the things that you're interested in when it comes to the actual recruiting itself? Yeah, for sure. You know, the, the biggest thing that coaches can do, uh, you know, because there's an NCAA compliance officer parked in the corner of every gym, <laughs> the, the biggest thing that coaches can do is to show their faces. That's the biggest thing they can do is they can be front and center courtside for your warmups for halftime for the entirety of the games. And Duke made that a point with Cooper flag, made it a point with Cameron Boozer. I, I mean, I don't think there was a game. I think I watched every game that Cooper flag played this weekend. I might've missed one. 
And uh, John Shire was there for every single one. Chris Carroll's there for a number of them. Jay Lucas there for a number of them. Will Avery there for a number of them, representing Duke now that Emil Jefferson is off to the Boston Celtics. So Duke is, is trying to make sure that their presence is felt. Because, listen, they know that Cooper Flagg is the best recruit in the country. They know that this is a guy who it can be a program changer. Same thing with Cameron Boozer. Like, when you're there, you're not necessarily deciding, is this a guy I want to offer? Is this a guy that I want to, you know, commit to? You already know those things. And so it's about trying to make up groundwork. It's trying to prove how dedicated you are to that player and how badly you want them. Um, obviously, after the fact, that's when the rest of it comes. After the fact is when you're able to call them, when you're able to start texting them, when you're able to uh, get in their ear and start making their individual pitches. But just being there courtside is, is really the, the biggest thing that the staff can do at Peach Jam. And especially with those two prospects who obviously have their various Duke ties, um, John Shire and his staff made sure that they were present. And so I guess in a number of ways, it's a little easy to um, get caught up in the headlines as to who's there for these games, sitting courtside for these players, because to your point, it's not like they're having personal interactions with these. And I think from a player's perspective, you probably want to be focused on the game so that you perform well to catch the eyes of these coaches and not spend so much time getting caught up and looking around you as to who might be there, what coaches are watching you. Right. And, and, you know, I will say on the flip side, coaches are, you know, Duke staff included, coaches are there evaluating. They're looking to see, okay, do, is this guy a fit for my program? And that's not just on the court, it's off the court too. You know, if you're a player who uh, sits out of a big game, you know, a semifinal game, coaches are taking note of that. I, I promise you, I was sitting next to them. I heard them. <laughs> uh, you know, they're taking note of, okay, this guy's not playing. Maybe he doesn't have the level of competitiveness that I was looking for. Okay, this guy, you know, his team is down 15. He's still diving for loose balls. Okay, that is the competitiveness that I'm looking for. This guy's the first one up during timeout, congratulating his teammates, pulling them all in. Th those are the little things that you cannot glean from a box score. And that's part of the reason why these coaches are there, not just watching these games on a live stream. So it goes both ways. Um, there is certainly an evaluation piece there. And, you know, for the Duke staff, for other staffs, obviously, you know, you are, you know, you have these elite targets that you're after, you still have to fill out the rest of your class. And so, um, you know, in Duke's case, it's about finding guys who are complimentary. Um, some of the other, it, it's about making sure that the commits you already have in Duke's case of Darren Harris, making sure that you're there, making sure that you're showing support for them. Um, so, so there's a lot that goes into it. It's not as simple as it seems. Uh, but obviously that's, that's all public facing behind the scenes on the phone, talking to families. That's all the part that, you know, we, we don't see as much of. So, so let's get right to it then. Of course, we're talking about not this upcoming class, but the next line of classes uh, that can make an impact in college basketball. Between Cooper Flag and the Boozer Twins, everyone wants to know where in the world does Duke fit in this race? Yeah, you know, I, I think we should start with the Boozer Twins. Um, you know, they are obviously have, have some ties, just a couple, just, <laughs> just one significant tie to Duke. Yeah. Um, I, I will say this. I interviewed the Boozer Twins in April after the first EYBL session. I wrote a story back then just basically asking them, look, are you a Duke lock or not? You know, I think everybody sort of assumes when you've got a famous father that you're just going to sort of follow in his footsteps. And at the time, they were very apparent. No, we are not. You know, we are considering all our offers. We understand Duke's a great option. It's a great school. It's a great program. But at the same time, you know, we, we need to do what's best for us. And at the same time, uh, the brothers were saying, look, if something makes sense for one of us, but not for the other of us, you know, we're not necessarily a package deal. 
they doubled down on that first message after they won the E16 championship on Sunday and, and verbatim said, if you are a school that is not Duke, that is thinking about recruiting us, please do. Please recruit us. We want to have options. We want to see what is out there. We want to know how different programs are going to use us. Now, does that mean that these guys are not going to end up at Duke? In the long run, we'll see. I would still say probably that, you know, Duke obviously is factoring prominently in the race. It would be foolish to say that they're anything, you know, but one of the front runners right now. Um, But I I don't think that fans should take it as a a 100% lock that these guys are going there. Kentucky is, is very much in pursuit of both Boozer brothers. North Carolina, very much in pursuit of both Bruiser Brothers. I asked Cameron specifically, I said, you know, did your dad make any comments when you got the North Carolina offer, you know, when Hubert Davis and his staff has been there? And he said no, because he understands that that could be a really good option for me. We've seen what, you know, North Carolina's four men have been able to do the last couple of years. So uh, I I think that the brothers definitely are looking at Duke. It's certainly among their favorites, but is not a lock right now. Um, And then as for Cooper Flagg, he's the really interesting one. Because this is a guy who grew up as a Duke fan. Uh, you know, obviously, John Shire is making him a priority. He's on the older side for his class. He's currently in the 2025 class. And there was a lot of chatter coming out of the weekend that he would reclassify to 2024. Um, if he did, I actually think that helps Duke's chances to land both prospects. From what I can gather and what I have heard in a couple of recruiting events this summer, um, the Boozers and Cooper Flag are not necessarily – you know, married to the idea of playing together. Um, you know, obviously both of them are kind of alpha players, Cameron and Cooper. They would coexist amazingly together. Getting both of them in the same year would be unreal. Um, but if Cooper were to reclass, that would allow him to come in in 2024, uh, in theory for a more prominent role, because you'd be talking about a roster that in effect is most likely going to lose Kyle Filipowski, going to lose Ryan Young to, you know, eligibility, probably going to lose Mark Mitchell as well there would be a real role there for him immediately. So I think that, you know, that's something to monitor here in the next couple of weeks, the next six months or so, just to see what happens with flag. But um, certainly Duke is among the front runners. UConn is also up there for Cooper flag. Uh, But John Shire and his staff are certainly, you know, I would say in the top five for both of these, you know, elite prospects. Let me give you a couple of more names here. Brendan Marks of the athletics is with us. Uh, Peach jam has come and gone and what a festivity it was. Once again, when it comes to Duke basketball recruiting, it's been a little bit since the last commit took place, and we'll get to some of those commits in just a moment. A couple of uncommitted guys that a lot of people are talking about uh, in recruiting circles, Duke's name attached to them would be Dylan Harper at that guard spot and Flory Bedinga uh, at that big man position. What can you say about those two kids? Yeah, you know, I, I think Harper has kind of gotten the short end of the stick nationally. We we're talking about this big three of recruits. None of them are in 2024. Harper's the number one player in 2024. He's still a really, really good player. I mean, he's he's got lottery level talent. I mean, he is that good. He's a 6'4", 6'5", combo guard, really powerfully built. Maybe not the best athlete, but his floor is just so high. He plays the game the right way. Um, you know, in the EYBL finals, his team got down 30. He starts hitting a couple of threes, was really the energizer bunny in terms of uh, leading his New York Rens team back and making it a competitive game. Got it back to single digits in the fourth quarter, which is really impressive given they were down 30 in the third quarter. He is a guy that right now it's essentially a two-horse race. It's looking like Duke or it's going to be Rutgers. And obviously, um, Rutgers already has a commitment from Ace Bailey, who's the number two player in 2024. Uh, getting both of those guys would be huge. Harper has family ties. Obviously, his brother was recently a start at Rutgers. And 
listen, I, I know this is a Duke podcast, but I give a lot of credit to Steve Pickell. Uh, he, he has been front and center for every one of Harper's games. It is truly a two-horse race. It could go either way. Um, as I understand it, Harper plans to take visits to both schools before making his decision. Um, this is where you get back to the Cooper Flag thing. If Flag reclassifies to 2024, you're talking about, you know, a dream scenario for Duke would be, you know, to have Flag and to have Harper and to have Bedunga. Obviously, Duke already has two commitments in Isaiah Evans and Darren Harris. Now that's a five-person class, and that gets to be a little bit big. So um, it's a numbers crunch. It's a numbers game as well. So Duke is in strong position for Dylan, but certainly Rutgers, I would say, is probably more of the favorite at this point. But uh, that's one that could go either way, certainly. And as for Flory, um, obviously he made his visit over the summer. He had the potential to reclassify. Um, You know, academically, he would have been able to just – uh, it wasn't a situation that, given where Duke is right now, necessarily made a lot of sense for them. So uh, my understanding is he's he's not reclassifying. He's staying in 2024, and uh, he's one of the best big men in the class. So Duke is certainly making him a priority as well, just given the rest of their other recruiting targets maybe don't have as much size as he does. A little bit too much work to go case-by-case, player-by-player, in terms of what those timelines look like. But in the grand scheme of things, with the insides that you know from the Duke coaching staff, from a commitment perspective, I mean, how quickly does that next commitment come? What does that time frame look like? Yeah, it, it, I, I mean, certainly it's not going to be anytime soon for those elite guys we're talking about, for Flag or for Boozer. That, that, that's not going to be anytime soon. Um, Badunga, probably probably the same case. I think the next one you're probably going to see is Dylan Harper. Um, I think, he, you know, of those guys that we're talking about right now, he's the one who has stated publicly that he wants to get his commitment done with you know, as expediently as possible, basically. So, uh, you know, initially he had said he wanted to commit right after Peach Jam. Again, sounds like he's going to take his visits. But uh, that, I would say, in terms of, you know, the, the, top, the top of the top, the guys that are really going to make a difference for Duke if they do commit, um, Harper's the next one that I would keep my eye on. Brendan Marks of The Athletic is here with us on Lockdown Blue Devils today talking about what's going on in the life of Duke basketball. We talked right after these players are making their decisions, Brendan, about whether or not they're going to come back for their sophomore seasons. And we've spent a lot of time discussing the impact those players could have on Duke. We've talked about the pursuit of a transfer portal big men and what that would look like. Uh, and then also mentioned the fact that, hey, the coaching carousel has come and gone and for the most part, it feels like the, the coaching staff is returning for Duke. And then we're thrown an 11th hour curveball uh, with Emil Jefferson heading off to the Boston Celtics. Kind of catch us up to speed as to where we're at with that. Because as you mentioned, Will Avery officially joining the staff as well. Yeah, so I, I think it's important to clarify. John Shire still has two coaching spots to fill. It's not just one. So as of July 1st, the NCAA allowed teams to have two more on-court strictly on-court coaches. So Will Avery is going to be filling one of those roles. I, I got a couple of texts when he was announcing his assistant coach, people going, oh, you know, what does this mean? What does this mean? <laughs> uh, Will Avery is going to be one of the on-court coaches. So Duke still needs to hire another one of those guys who is not allowed to go out and recruit. The only reason that Will Avery was at Peach Jam was because he got a, a waiver from the NCAA to be accountable coach because Emil Jefferson is gone. It's a similar situation to last year when John Shire had to replace himself and Nolan Smith and Rachel Baker was able to fill in as accountable coach and go on the road recruiting for Duke. So John Shire needs to fill that newly created position. And then he also needs to fill his full assistant position, somebody who can be on court 
and somebody who can do recruiting. That's the Emil Jefferson spot that he still has to fill. Um, and it sounds like from everything that I've heard that, that Duke is very much considering going outside the family for at least one, if not both of those hires. Um, and, and this is, you know, I think that uh, if you are John Shire, in Emil Jefferson, you lost a young assistant coach who connected to players and also somebody who specialized in working with big men. Chris Carwell could potentially work with big men too, but you're looking at somebody who sort of fills those criteria and also just, you know, trying to play the short term and the long term. You've got a guy who is promoted to associate head coach and Jay Lucas uh, earlier this summer is seen as a rising star in the coaching industry. Um, you want to make sure that you have some youth on your staff in case in the next couple of years, Jay Lucas gets an opportunity to lead his own program. So uh, certainly I, I think Duke is probably going to go on the younger side with the full assistant hire. And then as for that second one, that newly created position, uh, John Shire has shown that he is willing to uh, get creative. You know, Rachel Baker, I don't think was any on anybody's radar before he hired her last year. Um, I'm not saying that hire could be somebody quite as out of left field as that, but uh, you know, certainly he is looking at all options, not just people from inside the Duke coaching tree. It sounds like those decisions will be happening in the next couple of weeks, not necessarily anything paramount right now, but um, those conversations are ongoing. The, the process that was described to me is sort of just getting underway, um, but certainly there are some folks who already know that they're in the conversation and um, it'll heat up here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, timeline was where I was going to next, right? Because I would imagine it's got to be a little bit more quickly than these commitments that we're trying to follow and whatnot. Pretty important to know uh, which coach is going to be out there on the recruiting world helping you bring in that next crop of talent. But, uh, yeah, I was curious if there was a good bit of uh, steam and momentum to stay outside of the brotherhood because it feels as though there are also some qualified candidates within the Duke community who could be welcomed back in some capacity as well. There are, there are, you know, I think that, you know, for Shire, um, you know, he's a guy who inherited Chris Carwell, who is one of his, you know, close friends, and they've worked together on staff for a number of years now, obviously have a really good relationship. But other than that, he, he had a real opportunity to sort of remake this staff as he saw fit. And uh, I think you've seen with Will Avery that there's still a commitment to having, you know, people from inside the Duke family, people who understand what it's like to play professionally, both in the NBA and overseas. Um, you know, Will Avery, had I don't know if folks realize this, had been with the program basically since 2019. Uh, I asked Will over the weekend, I was like, you know, what, what was your main responsibility? Like, what have you been doing the last three years? He was like, rebounding and passing. <laughs> uh, because he was a manager. That was essentially all he was allowed to do. So I think John has proven in elevating Will that he does still care about the brotherhood. But by taking on people like Rachel and taking on people like Jay, he also values youth. He values diversity of thought. He values new ideas and he values an expanding network. And so um, I wouldn't at all be surprised if these were sort of split, if they were one and one, one outside, one inside. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked if it was two from outside, but certainly there are some qualified candidates inside as well. But um, a lot of the names that I have heard, especially for that third full assistant job, have been from outside of the new coaching tree. I've joked recently since the news happened that uh, Will Avery was certainly overqualified for the job and responsibilities that he's had the last few seasons with Duke around a really, really, those are good teams that he's been around the last several years and very much so overqualified for his positions. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I think that the cool thing for Will was, you know, I don't know if folks know he's from Augusta, Georgia. He played in the first ever Peach Jam. And so for him wow. to be promoted right before, this Peach Jam, and it's his first 
you know, and, and possibly one of his only times, depending on how quickly this hire gets made, one of his only times down on the road to be able to go back. Um, that was just a really cool sort of full circle moment for him. And uh, yeah, certainly, you know, he's a guy who it sounds like is going to be working primarily with Jay Lucas and with the guards, which obviously makes a lot of sense given his history. Um, but again, to have a guy who was a lottery pick, to have a guy who, uh, you know, played professionally for over a decade, who, who did have time in the NBA, who has sort of seen all sides of things, uh, to have that guy not even necessarily needing him in a recruiting role, it's, it's a good problem to have if you're John Shire. Brendan, the time is always greatly appreciated. I always look forward to these conversations and walk away feeling smarter when it comes to everything going on uh, in the Duke basketball program. Do me a favor one more time. Remind us where we can find your work. And if you will, like you alluded to a little bit earlier, what are some of those stories and things that people need to be on the lookout for from you specifically? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all my stories are over at theathletic.com. If you don't have a subscription already, would, would strongly encourage you to check us out, not just for my work, the rest of our college basketball staff, uh, our college football staff, NFL, NBA, like I said, we cover every sport and I'm biased, but I think we have the, the best sports writing staff in the world. I share all my stories on Twitter. Thanks for that handy cry on JJ uh, <laughs> at Brendan R. Marks. I share them all over there as well. And you know, again, I've got a really cool feature coming in the next two weeks, have some more daily stories coming. Uh, should be one this week, one next week with some updates on Will Avery, on a couple of Duke uh, recruits, one Duke commit, had some time to spend time with him. So, um, you know, check us out, check me out. Um, I, I think we have some cool stuff coming down the pipe for you in the next few months. Appreciate the time as always, Brendan. I'll talk to you as the season nears, okay? Absolutely. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, brother. All right, that's Brendan Marks of The Athletic joining us here on the program today, and that's going to do it for our show today. Thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening on your podcast platforms. We're back at it again here very soon. For Brendan Marks, I'm J.J. Jackson saying so long. Thank you and good day.